right, so we will uh, be in Ephesians chapter number 5. Uh, we finished the first two verses last week, <clears throat> so we will jump in uh, at verse number 3. So Ephesians is kind of, uh, chapter 5, is kind of broken down into three sections. Uh, last week, uh, we saw uh, where Paul told us to walk in love. So that was the first section, uh, which is verse uh, 1 and 2. And then verses 3 down through verse number 14 is uh, a different kind of walk. That is uh, walking in uh, light, walk as children of light. And then from verse 15 on, uh, it really gives us talking about how that we walk in, in wisdom or in knowledge. So we'll be looking at uh, walking in children of light. Uh, so let's look at uh, verse number uh, 3, and we'll read down through verse number 5. So Paul, once again, is, is giving us uh, specifics. Uh, as we saw a lot of that in chapter 4 as well, he continues that. So he tells us to walk uh, in love uh, and sacrifice uh, for each other. But then in verse number 3, he starts giving things that we, a list of things that we should not do or that we should refrain from. He said, but fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, <clears throat> let it not once be named among you as become a saint, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks. For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So, there's a lot of these words here that uh, sometimes we think we know what they mean, and sometimes we wonder so when he's talking about this, first of all, he mentions fornication. Uh, that fornication, what it's referring to, is adultery uh, and even incest. So it's, it's illicit uh, sexual sins uh, whenever you see the word fornication. And then uncleanliness or uncleanness uh, means to be physically or morally impure. Covetousness uh, means greediness, and that is goes with uh, fornication and uncleanliness because that covetousness is this word really means an uncontrolled appetite so to have uncontrolled appetite uh, for those kind of things or for sin in general and then filthiness means obscenity and shamefulness uh, I think that really goes along with uh, people's actions uh, you know doing obscene things and then he mentions foolish talking, and that word there uh, from the Greek uh, that me, that foolish talking is translated from means silly talk. Uh, so what Paul is saying is that when we're a Christian, uh, it's okay to laugh, it's okay to have a good time, but when it comes to the things of God, we should be serious. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that uh, we can't laugh at church or anything like that, but there are certain times that we need to understand that comedy is not appropriate. So we, for instance, we wouldn't want to be telling a joke or laughing or cutting up during the altar call, those kind of things. So there are certain things, the holy things of God, we need to take serious and not be foolish. And then jesting, that means 
to mock or make fun of others. And it says that those things are not convenient. It means it's not fit. It's not proper. And then a whoremonger uh, means a prostitute. Uh, unclean person is someone that is impure or foul. A covetous man is someone that's eager for gain. And then he rounds it out talking about idolaters. And that means to worship something other than God. And a lot of people today would think, well, we don't have idolatry. You know, there's nobody in America that I know of that's worshiping a golden calf or uh, a bronze statue or something like that. But there's idolatry even in uh, the Christian church. There are people that worship uh, and, and they love their children more than they love God. And their children are everything to them. There's people that hunting and fishing is more important to them than church and serving God. Uh, so idolatry can come in a lot of different forms, and it's not necessarily uh, worshiping a false god. Idolatry really is putting anything as a higher level of importance in our lives than God himself. That would fall <clears throat> under idolatry. So a couple of things to point out is Paul said to not let them once be named among you. So these things should not be associated with us as Christians. They should not be associated with the church. They should not be associated with our life at all. Um, and Warren Wearsby had a quote, two indications of a person's character is what makes them laugh and what makes them weep. So that says a lot about us. What is it when we shed a tear? What is it that brings us to tears? Is it souls of lost people? Or is it, uh, you know, a good movie that's a love story or something like that? What, what, what is it that brings us to tears? And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, crying at a movie is a bad thing. I'm just saying if, if we can be moved by a movie, but we can't be moved by people dying and going to hell, then we need to, we need to rethink our priorities. Um, and then as the end of verse number five, there's a part of that, the very last part of the verse, uh, can be misunderstood and uh, interpreted in a, in a wrong way. So he names all these things, and he says that none of these things uh, hath any inheritance, uh, people that do this, okay, uh, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So Paul is not saying that a person that commits these sins will lose their salvation and go to hell, but uh, because that is contrary to doctrine. And there are people that teach that. There are people that believe that. But the problem is, is that that's contrary to the word of God. So these, uh, I'm going to give you some quotes, and these were spoken by Jesus himself. John 3, 15, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't say will have. As long as they live a good life and die right, they will have it. No, he says they have it now. We have eternal life at conversion. John chapter 10, verse 28, he said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It's hard to get around that verse. <laughs> It, it, it's hard to say that you can lose your salvation when that verse is pretty clear. First of all, 
He gave me eternal life at conversion, and he promised me that I'd never perish and that no one could pluck me out of his hand. So how does God deal with sin? Well, Revelations 3.19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So that gives the explanation of how God deals with sin. So what exactly does this mean? So what Paul is saying is any person that can live this lifestyle, we're not talking about making a mistake and committing a sin one time, but he's saying anyone that <clears throat> commits these sins habitually, it is a part of their life without consequence, without guilt, and without any conviction, he's saying they are not a part of the kingdom of God. So in other words, they're lost. So someone that can live and have no uh, guilt at all about being in an adulterous relationship or any of those other things that Paul listed here, that is, that is proof that they're not saved is what that is. If they can get by, because here's the thing, uh, you can't do wrong and get by when it comes to God because God's a just God. And there's consequences for the things that we do. <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 7 uh, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, uh, Have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out devils and done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you and you messed up. He, he said, I will look at them and say, I never knew you. So what does that tell us? That tells us that there are going to be people on the judgment day that stand before God that truly believe they were saved. They truly believe because they did what the preacher said. They did what the denomination taught. The problem was they didn't really confess their sins. They didn't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the devil's okay with that. Satan is perfectly okay. Matter of fact, Satan will support financially and everything a church that preaches false doctrine. If somebody can go to that church and listen to their doctrine and never come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because they just uh, teach this real shallow gospel of just be a good person, do the best you can, and, and you know give some money at Christmas and everything will be fine and you'll go to heaven. The devil loves those kind of churches. Who is the devil against? The devil's against churches that are fundamentally doctrinally sound that teach heaven they teach hell and they talk about that salvation is by faith through grace and it's mandatory that jesus christ is the only way into heaven he said i am the door the way the truth and the light now verse number six paul says let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of god upon the children of disobedience so that word, we all know what being deceived is. It means being convinced or tricked. And those vain words, what that means is empty words, words that, that carry uh, no meaning to them. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a false doctrine. Those are vain words. Those are empty words. When, when, we, when we teach or preach any other way to heaven other than through and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that is a vain doctrine. Those are vain words. They're empty. They're meaningless. They, they, they will not stand uh, on the judgment day. And anytime you see the word, uh, the, the phrase, children of disobedience, what that's meaning is uh, disbelief or unbelief. So that's not describing disobedient Christians. It's describing lost people. It's describing unsaved people. 
So what he's saying here is that don't let this false doctrine, people that think they can live this way and, and, and do this, and that's where we are in Christianity today. We've gotten to where that we've accepted the world so much that really the average church person, the average person that calls himself a Christian, their lifestyle is really no different than the average lost person that doesn't go to church. They drink the same drinks. They smoke the same things. They do the same things. They go to the same places, all that kind of stuff. It's a very permissive uh, time in Christianity today because people know that if you want to have a large church and you want to keep people happy, you can't call out specific sins. And people stay away from that. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1 down through verse 3, he said that he quickened us who were dead in our trespasses and sins, wherein in time past we walked after the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So remember, that's that's another instance where he's talking about lost people, not uh, Christians who are being disobedient Uh, and then he says we had our conversation in time past we're by nature the children of wrath so that's talking about when we were lost now here's the thing there is uh, no debate that if you really interpret the word of God by the way it's written the Bible clearly teaches that we should live a separated life I mean verse 3 down through verse 5 is 100 percent proof of that that God expects us to live a separated life. So we can't let anybody deceive us or convince us otherwise. And those people that teach uh, that you can uh, do these things or whatever, uh, that undermines the word of God when it comes to our personal behavior uh, and our speaking those empty words. So make no mistake about it. God has a standard that he expects of us as Christians, and he will hold us to that standard. And then in verse number 7, he said, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now, when he's talking about that, uh, he's not talking about partakers in the sin. He's talking about don't be partakers in that false doctrine, that easy believism, that... that, uh, doctrine that you don't have to live a separated life and you can do whatever you want to whatever and that God doesn't have a standard the scriptures are perfectly clear that God expects us to live a separated holy life now 2nd Corinthians 6 uh, 17 wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you that's plain as it can be that God's expectation of us as Christians is that we live like a Christian, that we walk as children of light. Now, verse number 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. And this is where he says, walk as children of light. So he gives us a list of things that we shouldn't be doing. And then he talks about how that there's false teachers out there and false uh, preachers out there that preach an, uh, an easy uh, 
believism kind of thing and, and don't preach separation. But he said that we should not be partakers with them. And uh, he said that, notice how in verse number 8, he says, For ye were sometimes darkness. You notice he didn't say that, that, we, were, that we were sometimes in darkness. He didn't say we were in darkness. He said we were darkness because we were lost. There was no light in us. It was all dark. But now uh, we are light. See, we were darkness, but now we're light. We weren't in darkness, and now we're in the light. We were darkness, and now we are light. And that's why we should walk as children of light. It, it's not that much to expect for God to expect Christians saved, born-again children of God to act like Christians? <laughs> I mean, is God really asking a whole lot, you know, that, that we should act like Christians? I remember when my uh, boys were small, and you know how uh, children are when they're five, six, seven, eight years old. We had certain rules that they had to, that they had to adhere to, and sometimes we would go to uh, visit some friends of ours or whatever and they had children the same age of our boys and there were certain things that their parents would let them do maybe jump on the furniture or something like that well it didn't matter if it was my house or somebody else's house my children were not to jump on the furniture and if their kids were jumping on the furniture and my son started jumping on the furniture I would tell him to get down and get but it's okay dad no it's not that that's not okay for you. Just because we're at a place where their kids jump on the furniture, it doesn't mean that the rules stop applying to you. So that's what we have to understand is that the rules apply to us uh, as Christians wherever we are, that God's expectation uh, does not change. Now, he said that we were darkness, but now we're light. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. He didn't say you, you are in the light. He said you are the light of the world. You see, if people are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's going to be because they see the light that's in us. And we have to have that light. And we have to let that shine. And then he also said in verse number 16, let your light so shine before men. In other words, what's Jesus' expectation? is that we walk as children of light, that we are light, and that we let our light shine in front of men, that they may see our good works and glorify us. No, that's not what he said. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because, listen, it's, it's more than you and I have the ability to do to live a Christian life. It takes the power of a holy God. It takes the Holy Spirit of God living within us, leading us and guiding us in our daily life. That's why that when uh, we can, you know, and it happens. Sometimes people praise us and tell us how much they, uh, you know, admire you. Sometimes they might tell you that because of the way you live your life. At that moment, we have to stop and make sure that the glory goes to God because it's not in, it's not in our ability to do it. it. We don't live a more pure life than somebody else just because we're a better person than they are or we're smarter than they are. It's because we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So we have to give him the glory for it. 1 John 1, 5, he said, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare of you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
So how can light and darkness be in the same place? It can't. So if the Holy Spirit of God is living within us, how can that light be in us and darkness be present at the same time? Well, it can't unless we extinguish that light or suppress that light or hide it under a bushel, as he was saying in Matthew chapter number 5. So he just tells us straight up, you're children of light, walk as children of light, live like you're children of God. And then in verse number 9, he kind of goes into and he explains, uh, well, what does that look like? He said, how do we know we're children of light? What does it mean to walk as children of light? In verse number 9, he said, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So if we think about it, what is fruit? you got apple trees, orange trees, pear trees, uh, all those other kind of things. So a fruit, the, the fruit that's hanging on the tree is the evidence that shows what kind of tree that is. You see, I am not... A nature person I like being outdoors but I wasn't in the Boy Scouts there's only a few trees that I can identify by looking at them I know a maple tree I know an oak tree just by looking at the leaves that's about the extent of it okay uh, if it's any other kind of tree if it has an apple on it I can identify it. I don't have to worry about what the leaves look like there's an apple hanging there right there's an orange on that tree there's no question about what kind of tree it is. So the fruit is the evidence, and the evidence in our lives that shows we are Christians. This is what Paul says. This is the fruit that should be hanging on our branches. This is the fruit that everyone that we know should see in our lives. One, all goodness. Everything we do should be for good. It should be for good of other people. It should be for the good of ourselves. It should be for the good of the church. It should be for, for the good of the ministry. Whatever we do, it should be goodness. All the things that we do should be goodness because that's a fruit of the Spirit. All goodness. And not only that, but all righteousness. That's what we're talking about, this separated life, that we should live like Christians. We should walk like Christians. People should see a difference in us. Uh, I've said before, we should not have to wear a shirt that says I'm a Christian for people to know we're a Christian. Now, when we meet people for the first time, let's say a, a new person starts at work on our job, they should be able to be in the room with us after about 20 or 30 minutes, and they should be able to see that there's something different about us because everybody else has a foul mouth, they're telling dirty jokes and they're cursing, and we're not participating in that. So they may not know immediately, oh, that person's a Christian. But they should be able to see a difference in how we act, how we talk, how we live, how we react to things, how we dress, how we carry ourselves, all of that. So goodness, all goodness, all righteousness, and all truths. What we have to ask ourselves is this. If people were to describe us, would they use these words? If people that I worked with, if you called up somebody I worked with and said, describe Terry's personality to me, would they say goodness, righteousness? Would they say truthful? What would they say? Hopefully they would, but that's, what we, that, that's how we have to examine ourselves and say, do these words describe us? 
Does this describe how we live our lives? Is this descriptive of how people perceive us and view us? Because if we're children of light, and if we're walking as children of light, people will see us as, as good. People will see us as righteous, and people will see us as truthful. Now, let's get into verse number 10. And so the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth. And then verse 10, he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. See, here's the thing. The, God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. That's why the Bible says you'll reap what you sow. Because if we, if we sow to the world, we'll reap of the world corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap of the Spirit life everlasting. That's what the Bible says. So there's consequences for sin, and those consequences come. So if someone is living with no consequences for their sin, then that means they're not a child of God. So when, when, we, when I took my children to our neighbor's house or our friend's house and their kids were jumping on the, the, the couch and my kids were not jumping on the couch, people would be able to see that why didn't you correct the kid that's jumping on the couch? Because that's not my son. I have no authority over that child. The, their dad and mom is standing right there. It's their job to correct them. They're not correcting them. You see, they don't live by my rules because they're not my son. So we have to understand that people that can live like Paul was listed here, that's why he said that they have, uh, <clears throat> they do not have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God, which means they're not a part of the kingdom. If they can live their life with no consequences to living a life of sin, it means that they've never been saved. So the proof, the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, righteousness, and truth, and that proves what's the acceptable uh, with God. So when we live that way, we prove that this is what God expects and this is acceptable uh, to God. And I guarantee you, if, if all of us have been there, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Understand that God does not chastise us for everything that we do. Just like when, when my children were little, I wouldn't spank them every time they did something wrong. Sometimes I would correct them. I would rebuke them. Then if they did it again, they would get punished for it. So sometimes we make mistakes and mess up. We still have to suffer the consequences. So if my son touched the oven, the stove, that doesn't mean his hand doesn't get burned. But I didn't necessarily spank him for that because he got burned. But then I taught him that's why we don't touch the stove. Now, if I saw him going toward the stove again, I might give him a spanking but because I don't want him to get hurt. So sometimes God rebukes us. Uh, but when it's open, uh, blatant sin, that rebuke is not going to be there. It's going to be chastisement. <clears throat> so uh, as we see in verse number 10, that's when people see the fruit of the spirit that's in us, and it proves that we're children of God. So now let's look at verse 11 and 12 together. And he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now, 
This word fellowship comes from a Greek word that actually means participate in or be a partaker of. So what Paul is not saying is he's not saying that we should not have fellowship with unsaved people. He's saying that we should not participate in those sins. Okay? I personally do not think it is wrong for a Christian to have friends that are not saved. I hope every unsaved person on this planet has a friend that's a Christian. Someone that can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If if we refuse to have fellowship, if we refuse to speak or to or to sit down and eat lunch or to do anything with a lost person, how are they ever going to get saved? How are we ever going to reach them? Who has influence over them? Think about this. If they are a friend of yours and they don't know me, who, who has influence on their life? Who has more influence, me or you? Well, you do. So we can be friends with lost people, but that doesn't mean we partake in the things that they do. And so fellowship means to participate in. And then he says in uh, verse number 11, that have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So that word reprove means to call out, but it also means to gently correct. Because that's what brings conviction. I am a firm believer that it is not God's will that we verbally attack people that are lost and living a sinful life. What do you expect them to do? They're lost. So, you see, we by living our life, that light shines in darkness and that reproves their sin. When, when we live a life in front of them that's contrary to the life they're living, that's, how, that's what brings conviction. Very few people have ever gotten saved because some Christian was mean to them. You see, God, God didn't say, be mean to every lost person you see. He said, love them. What did Jesus do? Jesus ate <laughs> with publicans and sinners. But I know people that refuse to go out to dinner with somebody that's lost. Uh, you know, I, I ride motorcycles, and and sometimes we go on rides, and sometimes people invite other people that are lost. I don't refuse to ride with them because they're not a Christian. I get excited when, when somebody comes, because that gives me an opportunity to share the gospel, if nothing else, through my life so that they can see uh, the, the hopefully see the, the fruit of the Spirit in my life that we don't, we, it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works. It doesn't say with the person, but rather reprove them, gently correct. And then in verse number 12, this is important. It says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them uh, in secret. So um, Albert Barnes had a real good quote that I want to share with you. He said, and this is really, really descriptive of verse number 12. He said, the very naming of those abominations often produces improper associations in the mind. The description creates polluting images before our imagination. The exhibition of pictures, even for the purpose of condemning them, defiles the soul. There are some vices which from the corruptions of the human heart 
cannot be safely described. You see, I think that uh, we should shine the light on homosexuality, but that doesn't mean that we get into the details of what that is from the pulpit. Does that make sense? We, we, we can't say, well, let me show you pictures of what that looks, because those things, we shouldn't get into the details of, of certain sins, because they create pictures in, in our minds and our imaginations that we don't want in there, and it will, it will actually defile us, and especially when we're talking about young people. There's certain things that, that we should share with our young people that are wrong, but we can't get into the details of what that sin looks like and what it is. We can't expose them to that because it will defile their mind and it will cause them to have mental pictures that are not beneficial for them. And the same thing for us as adults. There are certain things that we should not have in our mind as mental pictures. But what happens? We can be watching television, I'm not hungry at all, and all of a sudden there's a commercial with a big, huge meat pizza with the, with the cheese stretching out. All of a sudden now I want pizza because I'm thinking about pizza. I'm suddenly hungry. Well, the same thing, the same thing can happen with sin. If we dwell on sin and we're exposed to sin, it can, it can defile our minds and cause those things to be a part of our imagination. All right, so we will go ahead and wrap up there, and we will pick up in uh, verse number 13 next week.